Anyway, we are uh, going to look at a few little notes here. And I want you to take your Bible and follow along with me. So let's take a look there in the book of Psalms. The first Psalm in your book of Psalms. Psalms number one. Now we know that you're not going to take the time in the class here today to uh, go through the whole Psalm and try to explain what it means to be blessed but if you'll look at it, it is a tremendous psalm. But let's look there in verse 1. In verse 1 it says, Blessed is the man. Now a lot of times you can take the word blessed, it means just, you know, he's happy because he's been blessed. And to realize that there is a God who blesses his people. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So God says, blessed is that man, happy is that man, great is the individual that will not live like the world, and think like the world, and follow the people in the world, and seek his counseling from the world. That's why God gave us his word, and that's why we're supposed to read it, study it, and it does make a difference. And then the Bible says, because you have done that, here is how you will be blessed. How will you be blessed? In verse 3, he shall be like a tree. In other words, verse 1 is telling you how to be like this tree. Planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper because you're making wise decisions. And prosper doesn't necessarily always mean here in this life, you're going to be prospering because you sought to put treasure in heaven. When you get to heaven and God rewards you for what you've done for Him, you're going to be so happy. You're going to be so glad that you did. But you don't want to be like the ungodly. So there's always people who will do what God says, and there's people that won't. So he says in verse 4, the ungodly. So to be blessed means to live like the godly. And the wicked are those that are ungodly. And he says, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. In other words, they're at the mercy of every wind of doctrine that comes along because they're not grounded like a tree. The winds come and it can bend, but it's grounded. And so in life you have a lot of problems, pressures that blows against you, trying to uproot you, trying to destroy you. But because you're grounded in the Word of God, you can stand. And he says you can be fruitful. So then he makes this statement in verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So that is a, a tremendous portion of Scripture. Now look at number 2. And turn to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. These are some mighty good verses that we're going to be looking at today. And they will help you tremendously. Psalms 119 and verse 63. You ought to underline this verse in your Bible. Because sometimes you don't know who should be your closest friends. All my closest friends are godly friends. I don't have any close friends ungodly friends. 
Now, I'll try to be friendly with people because I'm trying to help and reach them and change them with the Word of God and so forth. But I, um, I don't want them influencing me in the wrong direction. And if you hang around the wrong kind of people too long, uh, you'd be surprised who might get who. You're trying to get them, but they might get you. So you got to be careful. Stay strong with the right kind of people. But you'll notice in verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear thee. Isn't that a good statement? That's who I want to be a friend with. All those that fear the Lord. And how do you know they fear the Lord? Because the Bible says in Proverbs, they fear sin. People who are careless in their life and don't care what they say or do and where they go and who their friends are, you better be careful they don't become your closest friend. So you've got to be careful. So it's a good verse. It really is. Number three. Look in Psalms 133. Psalms 133. Psalms 133. Often I um, have used this verse in trying to help God's people to dwell together as they should. And he says here in verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That would be good for a husband and wife too, wouldn't it? Think so? Or parents and their children. Or people in the church. Wouldn't it be neat if the whole nation was like that? You know, years and years ago, the lost people had a higher standard of character than the believers do today. Years ago, I remember, you never had to lock your car. You didn't have to lock your house. You didn't have to worry about it. We never locked our house. But now, you don't know who to trust. You don't even know if you can trust the neighbor next door. So, things have changed. Because when you're not taught right and wrong, you don't think there's anything wrong with it. There's no restraints. So then people do whatever they want. They want this, they take it. They want that, they take it. So that's why it's so important to teach these kids that are in our schools. They should be taught the Bible. They should be taught what God says is right and what God says is wrong. It becomes a restraint mentally for the people, for those teenagers, for the college kids. Today, there's nothing to hold them back from doing anything they think about. And that's a shame. Proverbs chapter 1 just turn to your right to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. This is a verse that I memorized years and years ago. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10. You know, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. So I would talk to the teenagers at camp and the college kids. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Don't give yourself permission to do what they want you to do if it's wrong. Always try to be in control of yourself, realizing that you don't want to be a pawn in somebody else's hand. So it's a good verse to know. And the reason he says this, and we looked at this last week in 119 Psalm, how with all shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Why do we memorize scripture? So that we don't sin against the Lord. And without reading and studying and memorizing Scripture, well, you'll just do what seems right, because it doesn't seem bad to you. Okay, so then you, that's how you make your decisions. But it doesn't mean that's acceptable to God. So in the 19th Psalm, David makes a statement. He says that I'm not hurt by presumptuous sins. 
and that I will do things that are acceptable in thine eyes. That's the 19th Psalm in the last verse. Very good, very good. All right, look in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In the New Testament, the book of Acts chapter 2. Now you talk about something that really virtually changed the world. And that was because of God's people in the first century, what they did. So in chapter 2, look in verse 42. Chapter 2, verse 42. And look at these four things that happened to the believers, what they did, and what they continued to do together. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles, the doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. Those four things will help a Christian, help a church stay strong. But now, what's interesting is, well, how often did they do this? Well, this will knock your socks off. Look in verse 43. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now look what he says in verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. All that believed were together. Wouldn't it be neat if every person we went to Christ would all come together and study God's Word? All of them? Well, this is what turned the world upside down in those days. Remember, Christ had just been crucified. He'd been resurrected. They saw Him. They saw Him alive. And now they see Peter and others are able to do these miracles and so forth. I guess that would kind of get your attention. Now look what he says in verse 46. And they continuing, what's that next word? Monthly, daily. Get it? Daily with one accord, believing the same thing in the temple and breaking bread from what? House to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They had one purpose in mind. They were going to reach as many people as they possibly could with the gospel. So they did all these things, and this is why they were able to turn the world upside down in their day. And they only started with 120 in the upper room. And think about this. We can have 120 churches in the city of Tampa, and they don't even know God's alive. True? And look what they did. They turned the world upside down. And then notice what he says there in verse um, 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and get this, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, or those that were being saved, because they believed. So everyone who believed, because that was why they did it, and those that were being saved became part of the group, and they would come together and study the Word, and pray, and all these things, and really, that's turned the world upside down. So that's a good one. All right, here you are. You're a believer. You're coming along. You're reading and studying with God's people, and somebody wants you to go to their Bible study. Jehovah's Witnesses want you to come to their Bible study. So, of course, you say, well, yes. Well, I want you to look at the Scriptures and see what the Scripture says about that. Look in Romans in chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 and I would underline this verse in your Bible because you need to know it. Remember, as he says in the 19th Psalm, uh, in keeping of them, talking about the Word of God, there is great reward. But he also says in the very same verse, there is warnings. So 
God doesn't make the decision for you. Now, He's told you what He wants you to do, but He can't make that decision. He allows us to make decisions for or against His will. So you can obey His will and disobey His will. But God always lets you know, look, I'm warning you, <laughs> there's consequences. When God tells you not to do something, he's, it's because he's, God, that's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt you. Now, you think it's going to bring you peace and joy and happiness and pleasure and all that? God said, that's going to hurt you. God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk upright. You put God first and you live like you're supposed to, God said, I will not withhold any good thing to them. But if you don't serve the Lord and make the wise decision, there's consequences to all of our decisions. And some of those decisions in this life cannot be undone. Some decisions you make in this life cannot be undone. I got mad at my hand and I cut it off. Six months later I realized, man, that was a stupid thing I did. Okay, does that put it back? No. You become an alcoholic and ruin your liver, get cancer. Lord, I was wrong. I played the fool. Forgive me. God can forgive you and not hold it against you. But the damage to the body is still done. It doesn't heal the body. And people think, well, all you got to do is just confess your sin and everything's cool. No, it's not. There's consequences in this life for the rest of your life. So, this is what he says in verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division. That's why you need to have one of those black markers. You've got to have a marker. You're supposed to mark them. Go up there and put a big old X on their forehead. <laughs> no. Mark them which cause divisions, and get this, and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and do what? Join them. And avoid them. One of the things that's hurt me over the years is having to do this with people that I know and love, and I, I have inside of me, I don't want to do that. But I've seen people that change or offenses contrary to the teachings of the Word of God, and I've had to make some tough decisions because I know that it's going to hurt and damage, and you have to make decisions. And sometimes nobody knows why you have to do something, and if you try to tell them, then you've got to say things that you don't want to say, and you, you get caught one way or the other. It's just like this. If you wait too long to warn the people, then a wolf can eat up the flock. But if you say something too soon... I don't see the, that's not a wolf. So what do, you, do you wait till the wolf eats a few of them? Or you tell them in advance? So whichever way you go, there's going to be somebody who will not understand. You got to live with it. But this verse is very, very important. And uh, look what he says here in verse 18. For they, these people that teach and cause divisions, and sometimes these people can be people that are in the church. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, or their own lust, their own desires. And by good words, get the good words, fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. So, that's what the book says. And you're supposed to be able to discern. Now, how can you discern whether somebody with fair speeches and good words and all that, how do you know if it's wrong? You have to know the truth. You cannot discern error if you cannot or I should say you can't discern truth if you can't discern error. You have to be able to discern it. So that's why you have to study what the Bible says in order to know whether, hey, that's right and that's wrong. And then you've got to decide. Look at our next one down here. Number eight, what does the Bible say about fellowshipping with unbelievers? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. All right, let's look at 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. 
Now, believe it or not, all the Sunday school classes are supposed to be teaching this same thing, except a couple of the classes I've told them to teach whatever they wanted to. But mainly all the classes will be teaching pretty much the same thing. But different teachers have a different way of presenting something. Not everybody teaches the same way. And we are blessed here in this church to have such good quality teachers in some of these other classes and so forth. So if you ever want to go to one of the other classes and just see what they're doing, feel free to do so. I'm not one of those preachers that get mad and I don't get jealous. Remember, I used to have them all, but I'd rather have some teachers learning how to teach and somebody else filling in and they learn. That's how you do it. But anyway, if you'll notice here in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6, there in verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So here's a young lady. She trusted the Lord. She comes in the church and she's dedicated her life to the Lord. And here comes this handsome debonair, you know, and he's tall, dark, and handsome, and she falls. Ah! But he's not saved. But if he's not saved, she ought not give him a first look. Because she's going by the external. But what does the Bible say? And I always try to tell the college kids this. Most of them don't listen, but I tell them anyway. You will never marry somebody you don't date. So you don't date anybody you wouldn't marry. You find out where that person stands first. You need to know where they stand spiritually. Do they know the Lord? And do they love the Lord? And are they serving the Lord? Not they're promising that they're going to. No, 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 no. If you're not doing it now, you don't know if they'll do it later. And they should be able to do it without you. If they only do it because of you, when they get upset with you, then they're not going to. You better be wise. Your whole life can be ruined by making a few bad decisions. That can affect your whole life. But once you say, I do, I do, I do, you better do. So, well, I married the wrong one. <laughs> How many times I've heard that? Well, it's not my fault. I married the wrong one. Well, God did not put a gun to anybody's head and make somebody get married. Now, father-in-law might have, <laughs> but <laughs> I used to tell him, me and Betty ran away. We got married, and her dad came looking for me with a gun. He was going to he wasn't going to make me marry her. He was going to blow my brains out. So anyway, it was too late. We had that little piece of paper. Da -da 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 -da. So anyway, he thought that the only hope for his daughter was to get Yankee saved. So he started working on me and praying for me, him and his mom. And, uh, but it only took him three months to get through to me. But finally, I saw what he was saying. That was a, I never knew that that one little decision that night would change my life forever. Can you believe that? I could have said no just as easy as I said yes. But I said yes. And all of a sudden now I'm saved. And I thought, you know, what I had heard, I was supposed to jump, shout, and hoot, and holler, and click my heels together, and lightning bolts, and, you know, thunder's going to roll, and shivers going up and down my spine, and all that kind of stuff. It was a dud, total dud. Nothing happened. My father almost says, what does the Bible say? says, if I believe it, I'm saved. He said, well, are you saved? I says, I guess so. <laughs> I said, I guess so. That's the same thing I said when the guy, he says, will you take this woman to be your lawful, I mean, your lawful wedded wife? And I said, I guess so. <laughs> I did. And then whenever I got out of there, we were walking out the steps in Anderson, South Carolina. <laughs> Betty said, did you pay him anything? I says, no. 
So I walked back. I felt a little guilty. I walked back in and I, I asked him, I said, how much do I owe you? He said, how much is she worth? I said, is it $5 enough? He said, okay. So anyway, I said, Betty, give me $5. I didn't have any money. That was one of the reasons that her dad didn't want her to marry me. <laughs> I didn't have a job, didn't have a money, didn't have a place to live. Betty had $17 total. So anyway, she gave me $5. She got me for five bucks. And I've been working for 56 years as a result of that. Now, that's a pretty good deal. You've got to admit, that's a pretty good deal. But I don't think I could ever have found a better woman in all my life. But when we got married, we were not equally yoked. We were unequally yoked. And so sometimes you have to watch, and I've said this before, uh, you take a, uh, uh, you know, a horse, a racehorse, and you take a donkey, and you yoke them together, now, you've got, you're going to have problems because they don't pull the same way. One's fast and one's slow. And there's people that are just like that. They get married. And so one is boom, and the other one, slow. And he likes her because, well, that's, she's out there, and she's, yeah. And he likes you because you're nice and slow and steady. And so nobody wants to change each other until they get married. And the very thing they liked about them, now they hate because Somebody has to do some adjusting. And after about 50 years, oh, you finally learn how to pull together. So it just takes some time. All you need is about 50 years, you know, putting up with each other, and you finally start learning what they're like. I used to tell them, it says, a wise man finds out what irritates his wife and then avoids it. Then a foolish man finds out what irritates his wife and does it. <laughs> He knows if he does this, she'll do this or listen. And they do it to each other. And they love each other. They want peace and joy and happiness, but they do everything just the opposite. Why? That's because we all got this old sinful nature we live with. But God does say in verse 14, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? It, it don't get along. What communion hath light with darkness? It don't get along. Of what concord? Or I should say, that what do you have in common? Hath Christ with the devil, Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? In other words, it just don't go together. So if you want God's best for you, I believe this also can take place even in a, a ministry. It also, I think, holds true even in business. You have to be careful even in business. Linking up with somebody that doesn't have godly principles in government, and God may have to chasten them, and then you're tied to them. It's just like having a Jonah on board. When Jonah was on board and God was going to chase Jonah, remember, he sent the whole big old storm and everybody in the boat was going to be, was in trouble. So for the sake of peace, they had to throw Jonah overboard. But Jonah didn't mind. So you have to be careful of joining up with a Jonah. And so that's why you have to watch you don't have Jonahs in place of leadership in a church. Or marrying a Jonah, a person who is rebellious to parents, rebellious to God, and you marry a rebellious person. It's like a girl standing out there and she's hitchhiking. Why are you hitchhiking? I'm waiting for me a fellow to come along. Well, where do you want to go? I don't care where I'm going. I don't care where he's going. But wherever he's going, I get in the car, you can go wherever he goes. You need to find out where is he headed. Is that where you want to go? No. Then, then, then you, don't you get in that car. Because you married that guy that's going the wrong direction, you're going the wrong direction. 
And it's not going to have all the peace and joy. So God tells us all these things. Look at it in verse 17. He says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Because God is now talking to you as His child. This is not on how to be saved. He says, And I will be to you as a father, and you will be to me as a child, as my children. See, you can live your Christian life as though God is not your father, and you can live as though you're not His child. But if you want the peace and joy, then you better not join up unequally and be unequally yoked. That's why he says in verse 18, and will be, when he says, except you will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. So this is talking about as a child of God. Shouldn't a child of God be yoked together with the father? Because that's your dad. You're his child. Had the same birth. That's why Christ says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And... Uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for, how's the rest of it go? For I am meek and lowly. So God wants us to take upon us His yoke, His burden, His purpose in life. So you find those that are got, have got the same purpose in life. This is why we can have a good strong church if we have the choir directors on the same page, if we have the youth directors on the same page, all the elders on the same page, all the deacons on the same page, we can get a lot more done. True? But what if half of us want to go this way and half want to go the other way? Every time you do something, few people are for it, but man, most people are negative and don't want to do anything. So you always have to go through that. But this is why. Now look, in chapter 7 of the same book, chapter 7, look in verse 1. He kind of gives you an idea. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So God wants us to live a, a life that is decent, respectable, holy, maturing in the Lord. So you know what God wants. And he says, joining up being unequally yoked with others, you will not be what you ought to be. In Amos, he says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And that's why sometimes husband and wife should agree. Why? Because if you're both listening to the Lord, and you're both supposed to treat each other the way the Lord says, then it should work. I mean, if God says, and we both do what God says, then it ought to work. God's the one that designed all of this. All right, look back in your notes there. And turn to the book of Galatians in chapter 6. There's always individuals who believe that um, the problem is my wife or it's my husband. Well, maybe it is. But maybe it isn't. But regardless, how do you handle it? So he says, ye that are spiritual, or you're the strongest one, well then... How do you help the person that's weaker? This is what he says in verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. Well, what is this fault? Well, see the previous chapter in verse 16. Look in chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
So it's possible for a Christian to walk in the Spirit and in the flesh, because you have both. You have an old man, an old birth. You have a new birth when you trust the Lord. So you have both. So he tells you what the works of the flesh are in verse 17, 18, and 19, 20, and 21. So if you see a brother walking in the flesh, ye which are spiritual, or you're walking in the spirit, try to help the person that's walking in the flesh. You don't walk in the flesh to try to help the person that's in the flesh. So he says there in verse 1 of chapter 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, or you're walking in the Spirit, restore, that's what your goal is. Your goal is to try to restore one another, help one another. There's times when my wife will help me, and there's times when I help my wife. It's just bad if both of you get down at the same time. <laughs> the Bible says in Proverbs that when one falls, it's good to have a friend because they can help you up. But woe if you both fall at the same time. And so that's why you have to try to, if you're the strongest one, you say, well, I'm always right and he's always wrong. All right, well, if you are right, how do you help the one that's wrong? Well, when he stumbles and falls, I just put my foot on the back of his head and push him in the mud. And then I tell him, I'm always right and you're always wrong. You never do anything right. You ever hear somebody do that? You never do anything, never do anything right. Did he marry you? Yeah, it was, So, Look now back there in verse 1. Restore such a one in the, all these are hurtful words, the spirit of meekness. In other words, you may have the right to say and do, but it may not be wise. The Bible talks about Moses was a meek man. It didn't mean he was a weak man. He was meek. It means that he surrendered his right to God. You surrender your right Somebody does you wrong, you have the right to punch him in the nose. But you're a meek man, you don't. Doesn't mean you're weak, but you're strong enough not to retaliate. So you try to help the person instead of shoot them, <laughs> you want to help them. And I'm glad my father-in-law felt that way too. So he says here, considering thyself. In other words, he may be weak, and you may mock, and have fun at somebody else's expense. But you better consider yourself, or you'll also be finding yourself walking in the flesh. You're doing the same thing he's doing. may not be the same thing, but you're walking in the flesh on how you respond. So you have to be careful. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. All right? Look at number 11 in your notes there. Number 11. Write a brief comment about those who we should not fellowship with based on 2 Thessalonians. All right, look there in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians and chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And look in verse 6. You see, the Bible does tell us what to do. It tells us how to live and all that. So in verse 6, this is not on how to go to heaven. In verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you ought to underline this part of the verse that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the traditions which he received of us. That's strong, isn't it? You say, well, why would you have to do that? Well, the Bible says so that uh, they'll, they'll be ashamed, that they'll be ashamed. 
And then look down in, in another verse here. Look in verse 14. Verse 14 says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. In verse 15, Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Why are you doing it? Because you do love him and you do care, but you have to be strong enough to let him know, Hey, look, that's not good for your testimony. That's not right. And until you want to correct this problem, then I'm going to have to withdraw. And I've hated to do that because then they come across, oh, you holy, holy. You think you're so much better than everybody else. And buddy, they, they can slam you and crucify you and persecute you. And all you wanted to do was what God says. But they won't buy that. When a person is not doing right, and you are, you are a rebuke to them. And many people do not like to be rebuked. That's why he talks about it in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. Faint not when thou art rebuked of the Lord. See, the Lord may rebuke a person, but he does it through another believer. That's why he tells us to do what he wants done. So the Lord rebukes, but he uses a person, and sometimes people don't see that rebuke coming from God, and they take it out on you. And so are you able to handle it? And that's what gets rough. So anyway... Look at the next one down there. Number 12, Philippians 1.5 says their fellowship was in the, and I'll just give it to you, the word gospel. Fellowship in the gospel. You see, if everybody believed the same thing about the gospel, it would be great. But a lot of people, and there's a lot of preachers that I can't fellowship with because they're not, I can't fellowship with them on the gospel. And there's maybe some other things we can talk and so forth. But unless they are right on the gospel, chances are they don't get to teach in our church or preach or teach a Sunday school class because I don't know what they're going to say. And sometimes I've had preachers that will come and I'll say, look, uh, just go ahead and present your opinion. And then when you get through, I'll give the gospel. And there's sometimes a lot of them, they're, they're fine with that. And I know when I go and speak in their churches, they're concerned about that too. And a lot of times when I get through and I've given the invitation and I'll say, you know, uh, with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, now, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But right where you are, will you trust Christ as your Savior? And then I'll do that, and a couple of people trust the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I go sit down, and the preacher walks up there. Now, you that have raised your hand saying that you trust Christ as your Savior, we're all going to stand, and we're going to sing just as I am, and I want you that have raised your hand to come on down here to the front. Now, what did he just do to me? He just contradicted what I said, right? I says I wouldn't do that. Well, I didn't. <laughs> he did. But that's because that's the way they do it, and they're going to do that or die. And they don't believe that the gospel has truly been given until you've given that forward an invitation. So you go through that, but at least I got somebody to trust the Lord. And so I've done that in many, many churches. So look at number 13. Paul states they should, and it says, for the faith of the gospel. It's... Um, Talking about striving together. Those are the two words that should go in that blank spot. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. This is why we do what we do. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 14, or number 14, what should we not forsake? <clears throat> Anybody know what it is? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, what should we not forsake? The assembling of ourselves together. Now we're going to try this and see how it works tonight at church. Is there anything going on tonight?
I mean, a stupid little old ball game. So I'm going to have my TV sitting right here. I did it in Colorado, and I says, take your Bible and turn to Daniel, channel 9. I know. No, I wouldn't do that. Would I do that? I'm going to have Peter do my podium so I'll get it all taken care of. <laughs> oh, he's standing back. Hello, Peter. Good to see you. But anyway, number 15. How can we strengthen our fellowship one with another? 1 John 1, 7. Look at it real quick. 1 John 1, 7. Something that will help us with each other. In verse 7, remember, it is the will of God that His children walk in fellowship with the Lord. See, if you keep things between you and the Lord right this way, keep it right this way, between you and God, then it's easier to keep it straight this way. But keep your fellowship between you and the Lord. That's a priority. And then it's easier to let that love from the Lord help you with other people. So he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, when you walk in fellowship with God and in fellowship with others, it's amazing how few sins you'll commit. Get away from the Lord and you'll be surprised how many more you will commit. That's why a guy bought a Bible the other day and he says, write something in it for me. I says, all right. So I wrote in his Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And if you'll serve the Lord and walk with the Lord, it'll help you and love shall cover a multitude of sins. Let me show you something. You've never seen this before. This hand, let it represent you and me. And this wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. The Bible says that God, He loves us, but He hates our sin. God loves us. But all of us have sin. We've all done things wrong. And to pay for the wrong is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us. But to go to heaven, you see, we have to be perfect. No sin. And with sin, we can't get in. So God says, you have to be perfect. There's only a perfect heaven. There's not a good heaven or so-so heaven. There's only a perfect one. And you and I don't qualify. So the Bible says you cannot save yourself. Man makes up his own gospel. Just tells you to have more good deeds than you do bad deeds and you get in. He has no chapter and verse. There's no verse in the Bible that says that. No verse in the Bible that says if you'll be pretty good, I'll let you go to heaven. You have to be perfect and none of us are and we have a debt and it has to be paid. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from God. See, we're separated. That's what God calls dead in sins. Because of sins, I'm separated from God. I'm separated from Him. I can't get to Him because of sin. He can't get to me because of sin. Because He's pure and holy. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. He came into the world. And because of His love, he's gonna, if He takes my sin, He has to die. So He took all the sin of all the world and died on the cross. Paid for it, came back from the dead. He says, if you and I, if we will believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. I enjoy telling people, God loves you so much. 
He would rather die than live without you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. This is what he did. He would rather die than live without you. Because without that, you and I had no chance. That's how much he loves you. You're worth something in his eyes. He does care about you. He does love you. And so the most important thing you will ever do in your whole life is to believe he did it for you. If you reject Christ, you're rejecting the love of God. Jesus Christ is the love of God. What man would reject the love of God and turn down this free gift of eternal life to live forever with the Lord in heaven and no sin forevermore? I can't see a person doing that, but people do it. They're blind, deceived, but I hope that you that are here are a little bit more intelligent. It's a wise person, a smart person that will say, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself and I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just simply just talk to the Lord right now? With your head bowed, just talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Friend, all of us are. And Lord, I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And I'm going to trust him as my Savior. Friend, if you'll trust him right now, God said he would save you right now and give to you eternal life. Would you believe it? Would you trust him? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. But I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand just lets me know that what I said made sense. And you say, preacher, that made sense to me. And I will trust Christ as my Savior right now. And I'd like you to pray for me in closing. If you're doing that, just that much. Would you just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down? Just slip your hand up very quickly. Say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you so much for all that Christ has done for us. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to come together because we believe that your word is the word. It is perfect. And that, Father, it will accomplish what it's sent forth to do. So bless in Christ's name we pray. Amen.